Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15. Now Paul, the apostle, has been telling the Ephesian Christians what God has done for them and him and you and me in Christ and through Christ. Through Christ we gain everlasting life. And not only that, but we gain the presence of the Holy Spirit. We probably do not appreciate that like we ought to. He lives within us. He takes up residence with us. Think of it like this. So the work of Christ upon the cross in redeeming us and fitting us for heaven is so incredible that the Holy Spirit is able to dwell within us. Truly, we have been cleansed and made a holy vessel dedicated to God. So Paul tells us what Christ has been doing and and how we have the Holy Spirit. There, we looked at that last, last week in verses 12 to 14. Paul also, in verse number 10, tells us what God's ultimate objective is. He's going to reconcile the things in heaven and things in the earth together. And that's only going to be, be done through Jesus Christ and no, and no other way. And now Paul is going to tell the Ephesians what he's been hearing about them. I've heard about you guys. Have you ever met somebody and they say, oh, yeah, I've heard a lot about you. What do you say to that when somebody says that? You say, well, uh, it's not all true. Or you say, it's all true. <laughs> or maybe you say, I'm not as bad. I'm not that bad, as so-and-so says. You, people, you hear about people. You know people by reputation. Our kids, they go to school. They come home and tell us about their teachers. And, and, and I develop a picture of them in my mind, not only of how they are in personality, I take their personality and I create a picture of them in my mind. I have, I have a vision in my mind of how they look. Sometimes they look like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> and sometimes they look like, like a monster or an ogre, just depending on what you, what you hear about them. You create a picture in your mind. And then some teachers, you know, or people you hear about, and you create a picture in your mind, and, and it's a good picture. Now, Paul has not been to Ephesus in a long time, but he's heard something about them. Look at verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And Paul goes on and tells us what he prays for about the Ephesians. But I just want to look at verse 15 this evening. I want to talk about what Paul has heard about the Ephesians. When we trust the Lord, will add his blessing to the reading of his word. In verse 15, he says he's heard of their faith and their love. Now, authentic faith is, a, is an amazing thing. Have you ever met somebody who claims to be a Christian, but they give, there, there's nothing about their life or about the way they are that would cause you to think they were a Christian? Authentic faith is such a wonderful thing. There are, a lot of people have heaven on their lips, but they don't have Jesus in their heart. They're not born again. They have academic faith. They have, uh, this is, uh, I used to hear this when I was a kid, and I don't really like to say it this way, but I guess I will just for tonight. They say there are people who have head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. Now, in reality, all knowledge is contained where? In, in your head. <laughs> what they mean is, is there's, there's been no experience of grace. They just know information. They've just been reading Wikipedia about Christianity. They know all the answers to the Bible story questions. They can, they can kill a Bible pictionary, but they don't really know Jesus. Authentic faith. Paul says, I've heard of your faith and their love. 
I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Now, my friends, authentic faith is followed by a new life in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very moral and religious man, you, sir, must be born again. When a person is born again, they have authentic, true faith in Jesus. It's followed by a new life. And one of the primary evidences of this new life is, guess what? Love. Love. Some people say, well, if you're really born again, you'll quit smoking. Friends, I know lots of people who are Christians who are going to go to heaven, but they smoke. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher to ever walk on the planet since the Apostle Paul, smoked cigars every Sunday night after the deacon's meeting. (laughs) I mean, some people say, well, if you're a Christian, you don't drink. I know lots of Christians who drink. You know why Welch's grape juice was invented? It was so churches could have communion without wine for the first, without alcoholic wine for the first time in history. Before that, all churches used real wine, just like everybody else does. So sometimes we say, you know, if you're a Christian, you don't do this or don't do that. But the reality of it is, if you're a Christian, there's something different about you. There's this thing called love. Love. This is what Paul says. When I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love unto all the saints. There's something different about you. You guys have trusted in Christ, and then you're overflowing with love one for another. Listen to what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, says in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Listen to what Jesus says here. 34 through 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, How should we do that? As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Listen, I've been around people who are not Christians, and they're always they always say Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They're mean, nasty, and vicious. Now, are those people are are those people telling lies? Sometimes they are, but sometimes Christians are not that loving. Sometimes people claim to be Christians, but they're not Christians. Love. Jesus says, this is my commandment. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. This is the hallmark of our faith. Turn the page, turn a few pages to John chapter 15, verses 12 and 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Jesus has commanded us to love one another, to love. This is the great hallmark of Christianity. You say, well, I don't know if I can love people because everybody's, uh, you know, people are, if, if they were lovable, I would love them. Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to love your enemies. And he said, the Pharisees, they say, love your neighbor, but love your friends, but hate your enemies. And Jesus says, what? That's what everybody does. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them to despitefully use you and say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Love. Love love is is important. Where does this ability to have that kind of love come from? Well, it doesn't come from us by nature. 
It comes through the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians 5.22. The fruit. Could we use this as evidence? But the evidence of the Spirit? If you have an apple tree in your yard, how many of you can look at a, a tree and tell what it is by the leaf or by the bark? I, now I, I, some of them I can. But the best way to, for me to spot an apple tree is to see, guess what? Apples hanging on it. And a cherry tree and an orange tree and a peach tree. The peach tree is probably the king of all trees, in my opinion, because there's not anything better than a peach. <laughs> Grown on the... Anyway. The fruit of the Spirit. What's the first fruit? Is not faith, not joy, not peace, not long-suffering, not gentleness, goodness, but love. Love, because love really is kind of a... It's, it's a fountain from which all things flow. If you have love, things in your life are not going to be the same. If you have love for one another. So the Holy Spirit produces love within us. So what about these Christians who say, oh, I don't love anybody? Well, there's, there's a problem. It's a problem. Love. But what is love? We get confused about what love is. What is love? The Apostle Paul defines it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses uh, 4 to 8, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. What is love? Now here in our translation, we have the word charity. Charity. And that, that, that's a, if you look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, it defines charity as, in general, the special love of Christianity. The special love of Christianity. So when, when the Bible uses the word charity here, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of love that's obvious amongst Christians. Now, most translations nowadays just have love. It's a lot simpler because the Greek word here, agape, it just means love, just means love. And here's what love is. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Charity suffereth long. You might read it like this, is long-suffering. When you have love for somebody, you'll put up with stuff from them for a long time. A long time. When you have love for them, you'll put up with it. It's kind to that person. <laughs> Not mean. Kind. The opposite of the way we tend to be. <laughs> kind. Charity envieth not. It's not jealous of what other people have. You're happy for them. When you're Someone you love gets a new job, gets a new car, gets to go to Belgium. <laughs> you don't get envious very much. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get envious. You're happy for them that they get this opportunity. That they get, you're, you're happy for them. You know, Mitch Mitchell gets to do a lot of things that, that, because he's, he's single, got a good job. Got a fast car, reasonably fast. And he, he, he's, he's living a good life, you know, and you're, you can be jealous of that. But we're, you're, not, you're not supposed to be jealous. If we have love, we're happy, happy for him. Charity vaunteth not itself. Now, vaunteth here is a, is a word that you're probably not going to whip out anytime soon, but it means boast. Charity does not boast, it's not, and it's not arrogant. When you have love for somebody, you don't, you don't, boast in front of them you don't brag about your stuff you get something you know you're, you're thoughtful of others it's not arrogant 
I can't stand arrogant people. Can you? I really can't stand arrogant people when they're if they're more arrogant than I am. Because <laughs> we all we all kind of battle with arrogance. And that's not what love is. Thinking ourselves, you might interpret that as being thinking yourself to be better than someone else. Now that can happen. Poor men think they're better than rich men, and rich men think they're better than poor men. Beautiful women think they're better than ugly women, and ugly women think they're better than beautiful women. It's just the way people are. They get this boastfulness, this arrogance, and arrogance can be manifest in so many different ways. In verse 5, love does not behave itself unseemly, inappropriately, in strange, twisted ways. Love is not concerned with its own, seeketh not her own, is not devoted to self, does not take advantage. Love is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil of other people. This is something that Paul calls the evil surmisings. Is you see somebody do something, you think you can read their mind. Well, I know why they did that. But you don't know. You don't know. You, you, can, you, you can't know. Rejoices not in iniquity, not in sin, not in someone else's sin. And, you know, in there in Romans, it talks about the fall of man. It says that there are people who take pleasure in, the, in people that do the sins. Now, I'll tell you how that, would, how that would work. In this age of, you know, movies and television, we could watch somebody on screen do a sin. We're not doing it. We're watching them do a sin, but we're pleased by it. It brings us joy. It makes us happy. Taking pleasure in those that do them. It's an interesting thing to think about. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Love bears all things. You know, this rejoiceth in truth. Sometimes with people you love, you have to tell the truth. The Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Sometimes telling the truth can cost you everything. It can cost you a lot. But the truth is important. Numbers verse 7, Love bears all things. Is that long-serving and putting up with things. Believeth all things. Believes the best. Hope of all things. Endureth all things. Now this... Now, if you if you made a checklist here of these of these love things, could you put a could you put a check mark by all of them? I do this, I do this, I do this. No. And in the Bible, it's interesting to me. Over and over again, we're told to love, to love, to love, to love. Why is that? It's because the old nature and the new nature are at war inside of you. You think of it like this, like you have two two wolves in your chest in your body. One's good and one's bad. And they're always at war in there. Always at war. Always a conflict. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, I want to do the right things, but it's like there's a law in my members that I got to do the wrong things. I want to do the right things. You think of it like this. In modern terms, Paul is saying, it's like I have a program that's always running to do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Even though I keep trying to delete it off my hard drive, <laughs> it's still there. It's pernicious, this old nature. So we're told to love. And this is what love is. We don't get to make up what we think love is. Here's a description of, of the love that we're supposed to have. This is the kind of love you see Jesus manifesting. When Jesus says, love as I have loved you, this is the kind of love that Jesus had kind of love that Christ has. Now, a person who claims to be a Christian but does not love 
is either not a Christian or is a Christian who is so backslidden that they're grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, we've got to make room for, for these two views. You always got to make room for them. Some people, the reason why they don't act like Christians is simply because they ain't Christians. You know what I'm saying? You ever thought that about somebody? Why are they, why, why are they being, why, why, how come they never seem to get it, get it squared away? They have to be born again. And my friends, you can't born people again. <laughs> you can't cause it to happen. You can witness to them. You can pray for them. You can guilt them. You can twist their arm behind their back till it nearly breaks. But you can't make them be born again. God has to do that. But when God does regenerate somebody, when he does, when he does born somebody again, <laughs> when he does give that new life, it, it takes. It takes. It doesn't make them perfect. We know that to be true because ain't none of us perfect. But it begins this ongoing work of sanctification, this changing. I was talking to somebody a while back and they said, I remember how you used to be. You used to have this and that and this and that. And I said, you know, you're exactly right. But I don't think I'm the same person now I was then. And they said, you're right. You're not the same person. You have changed. That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be like, look at your body. You're not like you were when you were 20. You're better, right? <laughs> like a fine wine, just get better as time goes by. You're going to grow. You're going to grow spiritually. As a Christian, you're going to grow more like who? More like the Lord. So, or a person's just backslidden. Now, a backslidden person, Proverbs says, a backslider in heart is filled with their own ways. A backslider is selfish. Is selfish. And when you get backslidden on the Lord, you become very selfish. It's all about you. It's all about you. You want to make yourself happy above all people. Look at King David when he was backslidden and had that wicked affair with Bathsheba. All he wanted was to make himself happy at all cost. Backslidden. If you're here tonight and you're backslidden, don't stay backslidden because bad things will happen to you. In Romans chapter 12, verse number 9, Paul talks about love, and he says something interesting. He says that love should be without, authorized version says, without dissimulation. Dissimulation. Now that means hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Let the love you have not be hypocritical love, feigned love, or faked love. John Gill says this means that we're not just supposed to love in word, as in saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, but in deed and reality, in really manifesting love, that your talk matches up, matches up with your walk. Hypocrisy. When I was a, a young Christian, you'd hear this little slogan about Christianity. They would say, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. But friends, that, that's unbiblical. We're not supposed to pretend to be something we're not. <laughs> And Paul is saying, don't fake love. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. And my friends, if you can't love, or if you don't have love in your heart for Christians or for the things of God, but you're reasonably sure you're a Christian, 
What should you do? You should go to God and say, Lord, what's wrong with me? What's going on here? Psalms 139. Search me, O God. Try my heart. See where the wicked is in me. Show it to me. I want to I be obedient to you. I want to be what you want me to be. So we're commanded to love both God and others. And Paul hears of the Ephesians, this great love they have for all the saints, for one another, loving God. And now we need to think about the love. Love is contrary to the old nature. That's why it's hard. And love has amazing power, amazing power. Remember that story in the Old Testament about Jacob when he I use this illustration pretty often, but Jacob, he wanted to marry Rachel. And Laban said, work seven years and you can have her. And Laban did the switcheroo on her, on him on the wedding night and gave her, gave him Rachel's sister Leah instead of Rachel. And he woke up the next morning and said, what? Wrong one. And Laban said, hey, well, work seven more years for Rachel and uh, she's yours. And the Bible says... I can't remember what the Bible says. Turn, turn to Genesis. It says that the years basically flew by. Flew by. It's Genesis 28, I think. It's 29.20, Genesis 29.20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, but they seemed unto him to be but a few days for the love he had to her. The love made it, the love made it much different. Have you ever, had a, you ever had a job or something you had to do that you just hated with all your might? You just hate it with a purple passion? You just soon die as do it? Now compare that to doing something you love to do. You don't mind. If you love doing it, sometimes you don't even care if you get paid or not. It's just so much thinking fun. You just want to do it. Love makes everything different. Love has amazing power. Now, we're coming to the end, I promise. Who in the world would oppose love within a Christian church? Who would oppose love? Jesus says love. Holy Spirit says love. The Bible is replete with love. Who would not want Christians to love one another? Well, Satan. Satan doesn't want us to love each other. That's why Satan will whisper in your ear, look at the way they are. Can you believe them? Look at that. She's wearing the wrong color socks. They can't park between the lines out there. Or if, you're like, or if you're me, they say, can you believe Brother Terry backed into Miss Josephine? <laughs> Which I did one Sunday. I backed into her car out there. I mean, and I told her about it too. <laughs> My insurance paid for it. But you know, the devil put that stuff in your mind. The devil will, will point out to you the flaws and imperfections in other people because he does not want you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know firsthand because I have a pretty good viewpoint from right here every Sunday, every Wednesday. I can see what everybody does. And even while I'm preaching a sermon, the devil will whisper, look at oh so-and-so. 
what they're doing. They ain't paying attention to you. Now, how do I know if you're paying attention to me or not? I mean, can I really know that? I don't know. I used to sit on the front pew of my dad's church and look right at him, but I wasn't listening. (laughs) I was fishing, hunting, shooting guns, or thinking about girls. I was somewhere else. But the devil will whisper those things in your ear. You'll be, you'll be at your house. And your wife will say something to you that you don't really care for. Or she'll do something you don't really think is a thing to do. And the Satan will say, she don't love you. If she loved you, she'd make biscuits on Friday mornings. If she loved you, she'd iron your socks. I mean, and, and the Satan will say it to you, sister. She'll say, if your husband loved you, he wouldn't have barked at you just now. Not that any husband would ever bark at their wife. I mean, no man ever does that, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Luckily, we have lightning rods outside the church and <laughs> they flex away all the bolts. Satan does not want us to love one another. He does not want us to love one another. So what tools does he use? He uses pride, Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention. Pride. Give you a swole head. D.L. Moody said, a man with a swollen head has a shriveled heart. That's something to think about. A proud person has a shriveled heart. Jealousy. Luke twenty two twenty four. Jesus has just had the Lord's Supper. He's on his way to Calvary. And the disciples are saying, who's going to be the greatest among us? They know Jesus is about to die, right? Jesus is about to die. Jesus already told them. He's, he, Jesus, amongst the, amongst the apostles, Jesus is obviously the top dog, right? They, Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to heaven, and what do they start doing? Arguing about who's going to take his spot, who's going to be the greatest, jealousy. That's Hebrews 13.5 also. Satan will use affluence in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. James says that if a guy comes into your fellowship and he's got a gold ring and fancy clothes on, and you say, hey, sit up here on the front row where the fan blows right on you, but you say to the guy who comes in in rags, hey, sit in the corner, you've committed a sin. To prefer people, affluence. He'll use affluence. In James chapter 3, verses 6 through 16, we, hear, we read about the mouth. The mouth can create a big fire. It's a small thing, but it can really get you in trouble, can't it? Really get you in trouble. And James, James says, a man who can control that thing is a great man. <laughs> Satan will use mouths. He'll use schism. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 10. The church at Corinth was divided up. Some people are saying, you know, I'm a follower of Paul. Well, some say, I'm a follower of Peter. Some say, I'm a follower of Apollos. And Paul says, of course you guys are all divided up. You're focused on the wrong people. In the Christian faith, you're supposed to be focused on and consumed with Who? Jesus, the Lord with God, not, not earthly people. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, sin. Verse 1 of that chapter says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, the kind that even the Gentiles wouldn't put up with. Incest. Incest. All the way down through verse 13, it's that whole chapter. Sin. These are the tools Satan uses to disrupt love in a church. And friends, we have to think about something else. That we ourselves could be being used by Satan. 
but we ourselves could be. Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, guys, to the apostles, he said, guys, we're going up here to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested and they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. And you know what Peter does? The apostle Peter? Peter takes Jesus aside and says, and rebukes him. No, Jesus, that ain't going to happen. You don't know what you're talking about. This is not going to be. We're not going to let anybody, we're not going to let this happen to you. He rebukes Jesus. And you know what Jesus looks at Peter and says? Get thee behind me. Guess who? Satan. He, and he said, you are savoring the things of man and not the things of God. You see, Satan, see, Satan, Peter got it into his mind that it had to be this one's particular way. He said, no, no, no. But Jesus said, no, that's the wrong way. And when you go against my way, guess whose side you're on? You're on Satan's side. And Satan, that's the apostle Peter. If the apostle Peter can be used by Satan, can get out of kilter, then I figure that you and me can be used by him too. And we got to watch out for it. We got to submit ourselves to the will of God. To the will of God. We have to be careful. We don't let our opinions actually become opposition to the revealed will of God. That's what Peter did. That's what Peter did. Peter was focused on things from his own perspective. It was his view in his way. And it was at it was at what it was at odds with what God wanted. So, in conclusion, let's, let's end with a question. I wonder what Paul would hear about us. Well, if, if this was the epistle to the to the Bethelites in Lawton, the Lawtonians. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, I wonder what Paul would hear about us. Friends, our, our ambition, our purpose should be that it would be that we have faith in Jesus and love for all the saints, all those in our fellowship, and every Christian we come across, that we have love one for another. Well, let's pray together, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace.